Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit this morning, <clears throat> this evening, about um, what I think has been a difficult concept for the kingdom to embrace. And that is that when Jesus was here on this planet, he taught cool things. He had lots of friends. He was probably a super awesome guy to be around, right? If you've ever been around a loving person, you know, they just make you feel good to be around them. But let me tell you something. The most remarkable thing about Jesus was his command over this natural realm. Is there any doubt that synonymous with Jesus are miracles? If you can ask pretty much anybody, they might not go to church. Ask them, did anybody ever walk on water? Who's the guy? What's his name? They may not know what, where you find it in scripture, but they know that guy was Jesus that did that. And even Christians, you don't have to be around a Christian too long before you know, who's the guy that fed 50,000 people with a filet of fish sandwich? Anybody know who that is? Yeah, that's Jesus. Anybody know who was able to encounter leprosy and lay his hands on that leper and see that thing vanish? Does anybody know what that guy's name was? See, everybody knows. Now, Paul did some of that stuff, and Peter did some of that stuff, John did some of that, but it's, man, it's Jesus. What was remarkable about Jesus wasn't that he had an itinerant teaching ministry. If you've seen Life of Brian, which I may not be able to recommend because it's blasphemous, but it was kind of gave me a picture at the time. I sort of had this idea of Jesus that he was the only ever, a guy that was ever a preacher on a, on, a, on, a, on a soapbox somewhere. And that would not have been the case. There was lots of people itinerating, lots of people going on around, doing their thing, you know, philosophies here, philosophies there, whatever. But let me tell you, this guy, Jesus, what yeah. he was awesome about, what he's remembered for, the reason his ministry went like lightning through the known world is because of the miracles. It's because of the power that Jesus had to literally shift, bend the very fabric of nature. And you got to sit there for a moment because sometimes we go and put that stuff and say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus. I'm talk we're going to talk about some of that tonight. Yeah, but that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> that was the son of God. I'm not the son of God. Jesus was special. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't special. Jesus was seriously special. But we want to put all that stuff over there. As a matter of fact, it was, I, I think I shared it a few months ago now, but from Jesus's time when he was alive, really quite far into the season of the New Testament, we were still trying to decide who Jesus was, what Jesus was. If you remember the Nicene Creed, you remember the, Nicene, the Council of Nicene? We, we, have the, we have a rumor in our modern entertainment world that says that's when they decided what books were put into the canon of the New Testament. That's not what happened there. What happened in the Council of Nicaea was they, they were trying to decide was Jesus a man or a God? That was the big 200, this was in 200 AD or a little bit further than that. They were still trying to decide who was this guy, Jesus? Or what was he? Why was that a question? He wasn't looking, you know, is he a religious leader? You know, no, no, they weren't worried about any of that stuff. They were trying to figure out how in the blazes <laughs> Jesus could bend the fabric of creation. That's why it was bugging him. He must, not, he must have been something more than a man because right. he could walk on water. That's why they were so challenged, right? Otherwise, you could, who cares if he's a man or a God? He's got a good teaching. Well, I don't have to worry about if he's a man or a God. He's got disciples. Everybody had disciples. Even the bad guys have disciples. Yeah. <laughs> There's still 200, year, 200 AD. 
They're still trying to decide because they're conflicted based on his ability to twist the very fabric of nature. Can I tell you something? We're going to discover that tonight. The New Testament is all about covenant. Mm. You've heard that before. Probably even sitting in the chair you're sitting in, you've heard that before. But can I tell you something? Covenant is all about bending the fabric of nature. Can I show it to you? Watch. We're going to get a couple of big, cool scriptures here. Romans, are you in Romans chapter 1 yet? Do you bring your Bibles to church? Anybody bring your Bibles to church? Romans chapter 1. Since the creation of the world, his invisible, my Bible says attributes, that word's not there. Since the creation of the world, his invisibles are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. That's kind of very King Jamesy. What that is saying is, Paul tells us that when we look at all of creation, God's invisible hand is clearly evident in all of creation. Everything about creation, we should maybe say it like this, that creation is a boat that floats on a river that is guided by God. Okay, this is a very important distinction. Because basically what's happening is all of creation is, has the visible expression of God in it. Therefore, God controls all of creation. It, t- it has his mark on it. Yeah. Now, pantheism, I don't know if you heard that term before. It's kind of a fancy word. It's, it's kind of like there's God and then there's people who believe there's all kinds of other gods and whatever. They believe that God and creation are the same thing. That if creation ceased to exist, God would cease to exist because they are the same thing. And so they worship God and, they, and, and Mother Earth and all this kind of stuff. Clear, it's clear in scripture that creation is not God. But God is in all of creation. His his essence is in all of creation. And what we are, what Jesus was doing when he was here, because he was so zahelud with God, he could control creation. What we saw him doing was not independent from God. We see, he says that all the time. Remember, he says, I don't do do anything. But because he was so aligned, and that's that's gonna be an important word tonight. Because he was so aligned with God, he was at the same time aligned with creation. So much so that he was able to exercise willful control over it. It's kind of like shocking to say things like that. But when you look at these things called miracles, this is what you are looking at. It wasn't like people, you know, did that kind of stuff the walking on water stuff, and maybe we can't do it anymore, but they could do it back then, you know, like building pyramids and stuff like that. Nobody ever did that stuff before. Nobody ever took a few loaves and a few fish and fed a crowd of 20,000 people. Nobody had ever done that before. It's what made Jesus Jesus in the sense of his reputation. What people marveled at was his ability to grab hold of creation and twist it on purpose. Let me take a parenthesis here for a moment. Remember that as we look at creation, all that is to do with creation, the only beings that are able to manifest the curse are humans. Everybody else seems to go blithely along. 
we are the ones who have the ability to break free, as it were, from the natural flow of creation. That's super important. And what Jesus was trying to get us to do was get back into this, the flow. Get back into alignment with all of creation. And the way you do that, the way man was always designed to be able to do that was because of man's relationship, Adam and Eve in the garden, relationship with God. When I remained Zahelu with God, I had this ability, Adam had this ability to operate like Jesus is operating. Could Adam walk on water? Anybody know? Before the apple? Could Adam walk on water? Yes, he could. He could do the same thing as Jesus could do before the apple. After the apple, not so much. The reason was not because they were special, although very special. It, the reason was God is this operating system of our natural world, and we are Zahelu with that operating system. In modern computer, uh, Macs not so much, PC world, modern. Right, if you, are, if you have a PC, you have two systems working on your PC. You have DOS, which is the, the digital operating system that is the, how the computer works, and then we have Windows, which we load on top of DOS. You can't just load Windows onto a computer without DOS. It won't work. That's how this world works. We're Windows, and we have to be able to talk to DOS. We have to communicate. Everything has to go through this thing. If, we are, if you take a, oh, an iOS system and you try to load it onto a PC computer, it ain't going to work. It's a great system, but it's not going to work. When we are doing this, what we have to understand in all of this covenant teaching is that what God's intention by coming into a place of covenant alignment with him, what the purpose of that for this side of, of the grave is for you to have this extraordinary supernatural power over creation. That's, how many of you think that sounds crazy? I think it sounds crazy. That don't make it wrong but it sounds crazy. Can I take you over here? Go to, go to Colossians chapter one. This is, let, and you have to let this kind of settle because we could become just religious people. You know, we could just, you know, I love worship and I love spending time in here and I love, you know, the preaching of the word. I love the presence of God. I love all that stuff, but it's not about that stuff. It's about, it's about those that aren't in here. And how many of you know there's a few of them who don't know God? You know, you could be a parent and you got 10 kids and nine of them are at home. Who do you think about all the time? Right? How many of you know that's how it goes? You could have 16 shirts. One of them's missing. Which one do you think about? <laughs> it's always like that. Right? You could have 12 pairs of shoes at home. You left one pair of shoes at your, at your neighbor's. You got you to go, go get them. Isn't that true? How do you think God feels? So this is what, it this, when we understand covenant is, we can so easily see it by just taking a look at how we feel about things as people who are in a lesser form, obviously, but we are created in the image and likeness of God. I can think about how I feel about stuff and then I go, okay, God, that's how you feel about that stuff? You're sure happy that we're here warm and safe and dry? Yep. What else are you thinking about? You're thinking about people that aren't in here, warm and safe and dry, peaceful, that know the love of God, who know the confidence of people who are drowning in their fears. Is that not true? Are you in Colossians yet? Listen to this. 15. He is the, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. How many of you know that? Jesus was, people, people come up to Jesus and said, show me the father. What was Jesus' answer? Have a look, bro. Isn't that what Jesus, I mean, it's, it's kind of modern vernacular, right? 
I mean, if Jesus spoke, spoke modern, then he would have said it like that. He said, doth thou seest me? Then thou seest the Father. I don't think Jesus spoke like that either. So, you know, don't make fun of my translations. Right? Jesus was the manifestation of the invisible God. The God we cannot see. Can you go on in your Bible? This is, this is what's going to get you right here. Jesus was the firstborn. How many of you say Jesus? Yep, Jesus was firstborn. Yes? Any arguments? Read on. He's the firstborn, what? Over all creation. As a firstborn, over creation, powerfully over creation, is because... He needed each one of us to accept the fact that your purpose in the kingdom is to be at least, if you're the second one, to be the second born person who is a visible expression of the invisible God. How many of you know that's what our purpose is? I wanna, how many of you say that? I'm here because I want to be like Jesus. Well, then you want to be like God because Jesus was like God. And I can use the measuring stick of how I'm doing by saying, this is how Jesus responded in that situation. He had an impossible circumstance that was facing him, the Sea of Galilee. And what did he do? Right? What did I do? I go home and cry because there seems to be a big lake in the way. Lord, I don't know why you told me to do that. <laughs> and I can measure myself to see how much I look like God by seeing how much I look like Jesus when he faced the same thing that I would face. The needs of this congregation are way too big for me, Lord. You must have picked the wrong guy. But that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus said, yo, take up an offering, the little boy, that's what we do, right? The little boy fishing the loaves. And what we can do, multiply it so we can bless a whole bunch of people. Do it like that. Because then you look like Jesus in doing what Jesus did. Does that make sense? Yes. Jesus was over creation. He intends you will also be over creation. When we keep going at this, we realize then that the, 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 the purpose of the New Testament, which is covenant, we, which we're, I'm a little ahead of myself because we will talk about what we, we're going to get to something really cool about how the Old Testament flows together. But accept the fact that the, the, the New Testament is about covenant and then it, covenant is all about us partnering with God in a way that we have the ability to be over creation. I think often as of, of Megan, Princess Queen, where is she? Princess, Duchess, Megan. I think about what it would have been like. I, 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 have, you ever, have you ever seen a show on, on, on the Queen and how many servants there, that look after the Queen? It's, it's like... Freakish, hundreds, 600, I think, people are employed and their job is to kind of make sure the queen has a good day. When Meghan married Harry, I knew it was one of the two, I always get it wrong. She kind of woke up the next day. I would always wonder what this would be like. How many of you ever wondered what it would have been like day one? Because she woke up in the morning and there's 14 people in her room wondering what she wants for breakfast. What does she have to do? Because she thought she had to go downstairs and split some eggs, but what does she actually have to do? She just have to tell those people whose job it is to make sure that she's happy what to do. How many of you think that must have been pretty freaky? Right? And then all of a sudden you're all busy throughout your day and you have an army of people wondering what you would like to do next. Because they're going to lay out a red carpet over top of whatever is there right now because of what you want to do. Imagine if she said, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to help this group of people. Old women with blue hair 
let's just say. I really feel a burden for... Do you know what happened with those 600 people? They'd be running around like mice in a, in a den, figuring out where are all these blue-haired women that we need to be helping? Because she just uttered something out of her mouth. Why is that happening? Do you know why that's happening? Because she's in covenant with Harry. And all of a sudden, when you walk into Harry's world, it's a threshold. It was a moment. It was like a I do, slip the ring on, and all of a sudden, shazam, we ain't in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. We are in a completely different place. Now what Megan has to do is figure out how that sucker works. She just got to find out how it all goes and start to play that thing like a violin. Right? Otherwise, she, I mean, she can make a mess if she wants. She didn't have to. She can figure out how that beautiful system works, that age-old, centuries-old system of whatever, serving the monarch and all that kind of stuff. Great. Zippity-doo. I'm British, so it's born in me to think that's awesome. Maybe you don't, but... That's how it is. You see, when we are coming in to this place of covenant... It's not just a, oh, I'm just loving God, loving God, loving God. You know, Tina and me are about more than loving each other. We do, we, we do our very best in that area. Well, it's about more than that. It's about the synergy of getting something now. We're going to grab together, go, let's go. Right? Let's go do something. Right? That's what it's about. And when we step into this place of covenant, we realize God is Zahaluing with us because he's going to, in that process, give us this ability over creation, which is kind of so freaky, it's going to go, your brain is not going to get it. As we learn how to do it, this is a journey now, because remember that we talked about it whenever I was here before, Sunday, I think, or maybe another time. Jesus, when he was here, grew. That'll mess with you right there. See, I was raised Catholic, and I used to think, you know, the little baby Jesus in the, in the manger scene? You know, like, I thought his hands were up like that because he was holding the stars in the air. I think somebody must have told me that. No doubt Jesus holds the stars in the air, but that wasn't what that little baby was doing. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, right? His journey was a journey of growing into something. Each one of us are in that same journey where we are growing into, like Jesus did, the ability to transform the world around us, but not just in a spiritual way or make everybody happy in a soul way, but in fact, clearly demonstrating in a natural way change things, cause things to be twisted, but in a good way, because they very twisted now. And when we twist them, they go straight, because that's what God had intended for us to do. You know, Jesus's life was, this is awesome. Jesus's life was remarkably simple. The Lord said this to me about six months ago. I thought Jesus's life was very complicated, you know, running the universe and all that stuff is big business complex. But God said to me, he said, you know, Jesus's life was very simple. You see, when we perceive the world, we perceive it in very complex terms. I don't really know what's going on right now. I was thinking about, yeah, can I get the whiteboard? Is it, is it close? It's probably far away, right? You know what, Cato, is it far away? Uh, yes, it is. So that's okay. I don't need it. I, don't, I, I can do hand motions and you guys will get it. You know that when we try to imagine world and life the way we experience it right now, there is this, this macro system that is going on all around us called cause and effect. How many of you know that that's a system? Like what you did yesterday affects you today, right? You all know that. And so we all live in this massive bowl of spaghetti that is a cause and effect mechanism. 
The problem is that when we, we didn't know what was really going on, we didn't understand that there was a river, a spiritual river that runs this whole system, a DOS system that is going on around everything. And so we were like these people trying to figure out like which way is up. How in the world can I control my future, which is what everybody wants to do? How can I do that unless I start understanding this cause and effect mechanism? What caused my life to be the way it is right now? And how do I stop it or get a hold of it so that I can somehow beat it into submission and get it to change or get better tomorrow? No matter how good your life is, you're always looking for it to be better tomorrow. I just need to understand how to do that. And all of us came in trying to figure it out, only seeing a very small frame of what the world is really like. And so when we tried to decipher the cause and effect mechanism, it's amazing how your soul is going to try and do that. One, we don't really know. Remember the people who came up to Jesus, John something, chapter something, was chapter nine, when Jesus went in and they said to Jesus, you know, who, who is it that caused this man to be blind? Was it him or his sin or his parents? Jesus's answer was it was his parents, of course. No, what was Jesus's answer? I'm sorry. It was neither. It was for the glory of God. How many of you say, yeah, that's one of those ones we should tear out of the Bible. That is so crazy. There needs to be responsibility assigned to something. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that there was no responsibility back in his genealogical history. He was saying, don't worry about who's to blame. What you concern yourself with is what's the solution? Where do we go from here? Not who do we blame? Do you know what blame is worried about? It's worried about the cause and effect mechanism, right? It's, if I'm having a negative, something I don't desire going on in my life right now, based on a cause and effect mechanism, which is the way we are all wired, I need to know what caused it so that I can go and fix it and have tomorrow will be a little bit better. We all recognize in that Growing up without understanding the river, this spiritual flow that is going on underneath us all, all the time. When you observe the cause and effect mechanism, it always is about somebody else. It's always in my world, I remember this ferociously in my world, it was very important to me that I had lots of people to blame for all the problems in my life. It always makes you a victim. Mm -hmm. You know, we would say in our world, there's people who have victim mentality and there's people who have a victorious mentality. Not true. Some people just think more highly of themselves. Other people don't. So you see the victim mentality really demonstrated in somebody who lays down and lets everybody kick them. Can I tell you, the guy who's kicking them has also got the same problem. Okay? It's a victim mentality. That's why he's kicking right? He's afraid too. He's just ex not expressing his fear in depression. He's expressing it in anger. Same thing. Right. See that? Yep. Always trying to understand the cause and effect mechanism in my soul, because my soul is loathe. Uh, loathe to ever say, I'm the problem. Never, never, never. No, 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 no. Never. Not if I have a breath in my lungs. Am I going to use it to say I'm the problem? That has happened in a human, an unregenerated human being's life. Never. It's even our problem in the kingdom when it comes to laying ourselves down before God and giving it all up. Nuh-uh. Not as long as I got one ounce of strength left. But when you get to the bottom of the barrel... And it's finally all gone. Finally all gone. The only reason that you give in, the, the, the main reason, in the, I'm trying to prevent that from happening, 
But most people only give in when there is absolutely no option but giving in. Anyways. So Jesus' life was very simple because he understood the cause and effect mechanism. And so when he saw everything, he saw it so clearly. It was not conflicted by philosophies, by other people's ideas, by all the things that we make our lives so confusing about. You know, you can tell in somebody's life that they are growing spiritually when their lives become more simple. Wisdom becomes so clear to them, they don't bother with all the other things. I'm not sitting around wringing my hands in this particular area. I don't think we're very far along the journey, but in, a, in an area where you see the wisdom, you just don't bother with anything else. It's not a problem. It's not, it's not difficult for you to solve the problem because you just do this. Boop. Whereas another person will spend their whole day wondering, considering their options, building alternatives, figuring out which is the best way to go. All that's so confusing. So much work and energy going into it. Jesus was not like that. Jesus just knew the answer. Boop. So what is the answer? Is it this man or his father? <laughs> Let me think, Lord. I got to pray about this. There's got to be a few days of fasting in here somewhere for me to get this answer. No. It was just, boop, there it is. And he did that all the time. If you've read the red stuff, he's doing that all the time. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, were trying to corner him all the time, they figured they had him. This is check. I'm just here for the mate. And sure enough, Jesus would just zoop. He'd start the game all over again. Right? Because when he saw things, they were very simple. So in our, I'm going to refer to, I, I, don't, like, I don't want to use the word, I'm going to use the word egocentric because selfish is really a swear word in a, in a church. But I mean the same thing. But an egocentric does a better job of understanding that when I am seeing my life, when my life is the center of everything, the way most people do in our culture, when we are doing that, we are trying to figure out this cause and effect mechanism. It very quickly becomes a discussion of me versus creation, right? The wolf is at the door. It, that's not talking about a pet, right? That's talking about my battle against the forces of lack that are trying to come and destroy me. My job is to get stuff all figured out so that when the wolf comes to the door, I pop him, right? At least I get one good hit in, right? That's what we're talking about. That's what, the, that's what the, the, the metaphor is talking about. You know, Father, time is pushing me into the grave, does that sound like a victorious person, right? No, that's talking about, uh, I, I'm a victim of it. The wolf is, is gonna come to the door. I can't prevent that from happening. As we look at all these things from, an, from a self world, my self world makes me see the whole of creation as antagonistic against me because of the cause and effect mechanism, Right? There's nothing I can do to stop all of these forces from coming in from outside, causing my life to be, to be out, really out of my control. And then when I do that, now what I want to do is I am feeling out of control. So what I need to do is I need to start pushing against the wolf at the door so that I can get him to stop. Right? I need the collagen to get my battle with the Father Time under control. I need vitamins. I need to do all of these things because Father Time is against me. Is that right? Why are we, why are we doing that? I'm not saying don't do that. You do that for sure. But don't do it because you're feeling like you are a victim right. of all of these cause and effect mechanisms that are all around you all the time compounded by the fact that I really don't know that the situation I'm living in right now, because cause and effect is a wheel. Do you know that? A cause becomes an effect, which becomes a cause. And which becomes an effect, which becomes a cause. So I know that I'm on this big wheel. So I don't know 
uh, right now, is this a cause or is it an effect? <laughs> See how confusing that is? Yeah, well. And so when we're trying to get control of things, we're so f- sensing this feeling of powerlessness against this mechanism that we all know runs everything. And we come into the kingdom, we'll tell you the same stuff. Yo, do good, you get good. Do bad, you get bad. You gotta follow the rules, Jack. If you don't follow the rules, it ain't gonna work. Right? That's not wrong. It's wrong from the perspective that I need to do this right in order to handle this antagonistic relationship that I have with creation. In a sense, crazy as it sounds, I'm going to use the word of God to fight against God. How many of you would say that's probably not a good idea? Instead, what needs to happen, what happens is that when we step into this place of covenant, I am no longer antagonistic with the world. I'm only antagonistic with the world because I'm not Zahelu with God. Not because God's not wanting that, because my brain isn't even in the place, my soul isn't even in the place where it even gets what it means to be in alignment with creation. Creation runs by faith, hope, and love. That's how it was designed. Because its designer, we would say it runs by fear, dread, and selfishness, because it sure looks like that in our world. That would mean that God designed a system that would run based on fear, dread, and selfishness. How would he know how to do the programming? He would not, how, how would he, he would be, wake up in the morning and say, okay, what I need to do is experience fear and hatred, maybe a little bit of despair, and how would he do it? He couldn't. So we know that it doesn't run that way. That's not the basic com, com, construction of creation. The basic construction of creation, the, the, the components of creation are faith, hope, and love. But when we use fear, dread, and selfishness, which is the normal egocentric way of doing everything, because I'm trying to beat against it for my own benefit, trying to manipulate the world around me for my own benefit, because I don't even see that as being a wrong thing. Either that or the wolf eats me. Father time wins. That doesn't seem like a good idea. So I don't see even natural people, they don't even see the the battle that they are in as being evil. It seems like the right thing to do. Survival of the fittest, I need to make sure my genes survive. If that means I have to step on your head, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but it is my manifest destiny as a human being to ensure the strongest survive. If I'm stronger than you, then yeah, that'd be a bad day for you. Right? That's how, that's, that's, that's how upsy-downsy the world around us is, is becoming. Becoming upsy-downsy or more. There's got to be a good children's rhyme in there somewhere. Upsy-downsy, morsy, norsy, or whatever. What? When Jesus came then, he wanted to deal with this victim mindset that every single human being has. And most Christians have. Don't, don't, yeah, you know, don't get confused. That's why God's having us talk about these things. Not because we got to go teach it to somebody else yet. He's got us here because it's like, okay, we have to deal with some of this. As long as I have a victim mentality, if I look at my life and see the forces of my life that are affecting my life as being in the hands of anybody else, If I ever come to the place where I need to blame, blame is the instant recognition in your life that your soul is in a victim perspective. There is no reason a soul that is empowered with solution would ever concern itself with who's to blame. It would never happen. All you would be looking for, perhaps there is an assignment of cause, 
but it would not be from the perspective of blame. Right? I need to fix what, what caused this, but I really don't need to be blaming somebody for that. Yeah. Deflecting things. Unwilling to, because remember your soul, you know, look at it clearly. As if a negative thing happens in my life, the very last thing any of us want to do is, is to say, it's my fault. That's like <coughs> choking words. The only way that we grab hold of it, or not, it's, it's, that's the wrong order. You will notice that when, as you become a covenant more and more and more, growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, the more you are going along that journey, the more you are sensing an empowerment in your own life. That no matter what situation I face within me and God, within me is the solution or I would not encounter it. That's the crazy part. The only reason we encounter negative things in our life is so that we can overcome them. And oftentimes you can't overcome them by yourself because that would not be a good lesson. (laughs) Right? Because God's trying to teach us about him and us. Right? So he's saying, you're facing this situation, let's do it together, God is saying. But if as lo- all of this, your victim mentality, a normal, normal human victim mentality, doesn't even get to the place where I say, God, what should we do about it? Do you know why? Because I got to figure out how to blame Tina. And my brain is really focused. Right? I've had husband and wife going to be, it's because of their, their, their parents or their ancestors, or their their ethnic group, or, you know, how far back do we have to go? (laughs) Well, you're such a son of Adam. (laughs) We got to go all the way back there to find blame. But that's what we do, right? We keep going back in time until we can find some reason to blame somebody else. That's a lot of work. Your soul is freakishly busy trying to find out how to legitimize the fact that somebody else is to blame. All that soul power, computing power, could also be going, okay, God, if we're confronting this situation right now, you're doing this because you want me to become an overcomer in this area, so hey, what are we doing? How are we going to do this? Right? That's, can you already tell listening to me? One is a very powerful place. The other is a very not powerful place. Not only am I not powerful to fix the problem, how many of you know if I, come and do, if I find out a problem and I come and blame you, what are you going to do now? You have never had this situation happen? No, 100% of you are going to do the same thing. You're going to be using your soul to figure out how to blame somebody else. Right? This is a lot of work. With one little spilt coffee on the floor, we now have 17 people with their souls completely consumed with who to blame. Nobody's cleaning up the coffee stain yet. Isn't that true? That's not good. The whole system is built in a, to foster disempowerment in the sense of fixing the problem that God has had you in front of. Does that make some sense? It, you'll notice that covenant changes you from the inside out. It's not real covenant until you're feeling empowered by it. Yeah. Like Megan, day two. <laughs> right? Because she's now, she, they know how to make the eggs now. So she just, you know, zippity do. She's empowered. She learned. She grew in wisdom and stature. Favor with the guardsmen or whatever you call these people, the butlers in the house of Windsor. That's what's intended here. Unless we are ready, this is a big thing. Unless we are ready at the time of covenant to lay down that victim mentality, to lay down that ability to blame somebody else in the face of a problem that God has had in your perception. 
If you perceive it, I tell people all the time, they would say, you know what? This, this church has got a lot of stuff on the floor. Somebody should fix it. Yeah, I said, you know who that somebody should be? I didn't see it. Tina makes fun of me about that all the time. The, the, the sta- my, my office is in the basement at home, and so you go down the stairs. She said, didn't you notice how, I think what happened was, you know, the, the, the shredder, they just messy things. But when you, when you dump them, they can get, get the fluff everywhere. Have ever, anybody have that experience? So she said, didn't you notice all of the fluff on the stairs going upstairs? Fluff? <laughs> I'm thinking, I go up and down the stairs 50 times a day. Can't you tell? You know, it's, I don't see it. She says, I make piles. I'm, I'm telling on her. Is she in here? I'm a pile maker. <laughs> Tina hates piles of any kind. I just got contacts a couple months ago so that I wouldn't have to be, remember I used to flip them between two pairs of glasses, but solved it a different way, invisibly. Ooh. It's a secret, don't tell anybody. But now I have all my little bottles, you know, when they get you contacts, they give you all the little bottles of all the different things and little things to put them in and cleaners and all that. Now I've got this little pack out in the open. You know, that's no good. That's no good. You cannot stay married if you're going to keep a pack of stuff like that. Why am I talking about this? Is there a reason? What was I talking about? Why am I, why am I all the way over here talking about contacts or crying out loud? Megan. Was I on Megan again? I'd love to be a fly on the wall watching Megan adjust to being a royal. Anyways, I don't know why I got there, so watch the tape. I'm sure it was for a good reason. So when I'm an egocentric person, everything about my life, I perceive it as the result of forces around me that are beyond my control. That's why I'm bothered by negative things. I wouldn't be bothered by negative things if I felt like I had the power to overcome them, which is, the, which is where we're going. Can I say that again? Yes. The only reason that we are bothered by negative circumstances in our lives is because we think we don't have the power to overcome them. Imagine two scenarios. One, get a cell phone bill, you have the money to pay. Two, get a cell phone bill, you don't have the money to pay. One of them, you have the ability to solve the problem. What do you do? Click, 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 done. You don't have the money to pay it. How's that go? That goes for, for the next 17 days, right? Because I'm not empowered to solve the problem. So I perceive it all the time. I'm aware of it constantly. When we have the perception, this is why covenant becomes now critical to our journey with the Lord and in the destiny that he's called every single one of us to, is that when we have covenant, then I experience some negative thing. That negative thing, I now sense the empowerment to do something about it. Rather than I see it, I move away from it. It it burdens me. Does that make some sense? Because I don't feel like I am empowered to solve the problem. I'll have a go at it, right? Uh, I'll pay for you. You know, be warm, be filled, be gone, kind of a thing. I don't know. But you could tell the difference. You probably tell the difference somebody praying for you. So yeah, yeah, you, you don't believe what you're saying. See, the, 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 the difference is, is the covenant. It's the knowing that comes with the ability to, as Jesus said, have power over creation. That his intention through covenant was always to give us that power. Imagine humankind a hundred years after Jesus was here, if we would have understood what he wanted us to do was have power over creation the way he had power over it. Imagine, we'd have been to the moon in 100 AD. Who knows where we would be now? Does that make some sense to you? Now as we go ahead and look at all the troubles of our world, not one of them, can I tell you? 
And I, I, spend, I spend a lot of time, maybe I shouldn't, but looking at the problems of this world, trying to say, okay, God, okay, God, how are we gonna, what are we going to do, God? What are we gonna, can I tell you? There is not one problem that I have encountered in the earth that a simple application of the principles of the kingdom of God would not solve. Right. Not one. Not one. All God needs is an army of people who are willing to step in to every, all and every environment and infuse that thing with the kingdom, which is the covenant, which is the empowerment to solve whatever problem I encounter. Think about it. It gives purpose now. Covenant is not just about, am I running out of time? Covenant, oh yes. Oh, yes. That's terrible. That's my own family. You know, it's like. Surely they would be interested in what I'm sharing today. You know, that's what you think, right? Surely his own children would care. Okay, let's wind this baby down. Jesus came to free our minds and understand how to jump into the river. Listen to this, Romans chapter 8. Would you go there with me for a moment? And then I'm done-ish. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this. And I, this is kind of King Jamesy, so stay with me, okay? I do need to get one of those cooler translations because it makes me a lot cooler if I was not talking in King James, I think, anyways. For I consider... Now, this is only Romans chapter 8, okay? We're not in Romans 16 here. We're just in the middle. We're just in the, you know, walk by the Spirit kind of time in the Romans. You know what that is, right? Not after the lust of the flesh. We're at that moment in the chronological expression of the doctrine of the New Testament. Here we are with Paul. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Can I tell you the suffering? We're going to see that in a second. The sufferings are that moment what I talked about earlier where I am allowing my life to say I'm getting rid of this victim mentality. I know that I have used that victim mentality to manipulate my way forward in the, in the world that I live in. I'm letting all that go. Now, you got to systematically do that. You can't just zippity-doo and jump in. No, there's real things you have to unhook or else you make you freak out. Yeah. But when we are done with all, that's the suffering part of what he's talking about here. He is not talking about suffering under debt or suffering under sickness or suffering under all of these negative things that are going on in the world around. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this journey of the New Testament that says, I am done with depending on those things to get me forward. Because I've tried to manipulate my world, but how many of you have noticed the more you push, the less it works? It's like, a, like, it's like a rubber band. I push against it, and as soon as I let go of the rubber band, it goes right back to where it was before. That's how it works. The sufferings that Paul is talking about here is not any longer, or that is the inner reality of the, of the turmoil that is created inside of us when we are letting go of all of those systems that we depended on. This is my lifeline. This is how my future works. And letting all that go, doing the process, as many of you know, all that stuff around here. Okay, those sufferings, those, that journey is nothing compared to what it means to come into this place of covenant, the glory that is revealed in us, the, the God factor, the Zehelu, that it's me and God going forward. For the earnest expectation of creation. Hello? The earnest expectation of creation. What in the world? That means that creation, the earth, and all in it is waiting. Like these are, that's kind of personification kind of stuff going on here. He's giving a personality to this thing, creation. 
saying to us that it's waiting on something. Groaning. Waiting on what? Excuse me? The manifestation of the sons of God. Sons. This is, this is now, this is going to mess now. This is not, this is not good. Sansa? You mean Sanna? The guy that could walk on water. Creation is looking to be returned into this place of functionality. It's drifting along in the, in the, in the day after day not being able to do all the things it knows it can do. It is waiting for somebody to get a mouse and a keyboard and open the gates. Let me run, creation is saying. It cannot do that until something happens. What's it waiting on? It's waiting on the manifestation of the sun's of God, sons is anthropos, son and uh, male and female. For creation, listen now, this is how, put yourself in the personification of creation. It says creation, this mind of creation, was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, uh, this is too King Jamesy. Creation was designed to do this extraordinarily awesome thing in the hands of the sons of God who know how to use it. But it has been stuck into this place of futility. It means it's going to spin and spin and spin a thousand miles in one direction, 10,000 miles in another direction, a million miles in another direction, and get nothing done. Day after day, month after month, millennium after millennium, the creation is saying, Don't you know? I'm a Bugatti sitting in the garage. I was not designed for the garage. That's what it's saying. Modern translation, as you know. It was subjected to this terrible place of futility where nothing worked. There was no hope, basically. It was the hope that you could, cre you could take charge over creation was gone. Nobody hoped anymore. Nobody even thought you mean little old me sitting here in nowhere, Fort Erie? I can twist the very fabric of nature? That is absolutely ridiculous. Never has that dawned on the mind of a human being. Best we could do was religious practice, hoping that somehow God was paying attention to our piety, perhaps, when he spins the lottery wheel today, it'll land on my number. Instead, God is saying, creation is waiting. You hear that? It's waiting like that looking for a Zahelu person who is in, intermingled with God. I am in covenant with God, like, like Megan feels. I'm in covenant. Listen, because creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Can I tell you what that says? It says creation is waiting to be set free 
It wants to do what you want it to do. That's the liberty. Now, this is, remember, this is referring, if you've got a couple other scriptures talking about liberty, it's talking about a set free human being. It's not talking about a person who's in bondage of self and all of those egocentric things. It's talking about the liberty of somebody who operates like Jesus, who is doing everything they're doing based on this place of liberty of being one with God, set free in all of those things, no longer self-driven, no longer fear, dread, and selfishness, stepping into that place where all of a sudden now it is waiting for your command. Consider, like, that is crazy. Waiting. For the phone to ring. Sitting by the phone, waiting, waiting, waiting. Another millennium goes by. It can, by the way. We don't have to do this. We could just let somebody else do it a thousand years from now. A thousand years to, to, to creation is like that. But what Jesus gave us was an understanding that if we have the strength to step into this thing, really Get rid of all of these entanglements, all these chains, fear chains and dread chains and selfishness chains. Get rid of them all. Systematically, bam, find one, bam, find one, bam, find one, bam. So that when I step into covenant, I'm stepping into covenant with the very ferocity. Because the more I'm in, I can step in and be 10% in, or I can step in and be 90% in. There is a mechanism that unveils us all. When we step in, literally, we'll know. That's what we're waiting for. That's where we are. We are literally on the threshold of experiencing what it feels like for us to step into that place completely peaceful, completely empowered, fearless against whatever would be in our way, taking everything that would set itself in opposition and just say, okay, God, I need to sharpen this thing. Bam, over we go. Bam, over we go. Bam, over we go. It doesn't take a lot of those, Jess, before we become those people that say, okay, like, take your best shot, dude. We fight what is first. Then we fight what is not. Now we're creating. Now we're inventing. Now we are, you know, doing higher, not just fighting against the things that already exist. I need to get the house payment in. That already is there. Yeah, we got to fight that stuff for sure. But we go very quickly, those things, you get to the place where it's like, I'm sorry, what was that? I says, I don't even notice it anymore. I'm busy getting something done that is going to be empowering betterness and and creativity and invention and ingenuity and all of those type of things because I'm fighting a problem that, I, that is not even attacking me yet. Do you see that? I'm telling you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus showed up on the scene. He, he was the answer when he got there, wasn't he? We see that in the scripture, right? When Jesus gets there, it's like zippity-doo. Remember Mary and Martha? If you'd have come here, that we already know. Lazarus wouldn't have died. Lazarus wouldn't have died. Mm-hmm. Jesus was the answer before he even got there. Yeah. No, no, Jesus could do this. This is cool. That's where we are. Amen. That's the moment that we are in. This, this spiritual place of us as a ministry for all of us as a family together. We are mm-hmm. in that place where it's like, you know what, God? We are just stepping in. We're going to put our foot right into this thing and go, okay, let's give this our, let's give this Maybe a world. Amen. Amen. Being able to obey God. I know you're here because I'm out of time. Alex Just, sent me. Alex sent you. <laughs> to me and you. I'm telling you right now. He's not looking at you. He's hanging his head. 
I want to get through this point. Have I, have I, have I, have I given yes. the point to you? Mm -hmm. That when we are facing this place of opposition, we are no longer victim-minded, worried about the fact that I'm going to step into this place and, oh, there's going to be opposition. There's going no. Dude. We're like opposition hunters. I'm look, can I tell you, Jesus was like that. I would think he'd stay in his own hometown. Let's worry about the few sick folk there. That'd be about that. That's good, right? He didn't do that. He went, he just said, I got to go to the Gadarenes. That was on the other side of the river, on the lake. He had to walk on the lake. He was like hunting that stuff up. That's only, you only do that if you are feeling empowered. And then we sort of realize it's like, God, use me for that kind of stuff. Amen. Amen. That's where change the world stuff starts to happen right up there. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.